to episode 58 of the Retrospectors podcast, Streets of Rage 2. My name is Patrick Arthur, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, James Turlings, and another very, very special guest, friend of the show, Drew Kosselik. Let's start with you, James. Uh, are you excited to be doing Streets of Rage 2? Yeah, I actually am, Pat, because uh, a couple weeks ago we played through this in co-op and we tried very, very hard not to spoil our opinions of the game. Um, I think when we uh, first played Streets of Rage 2, we went into it with the understanding that we'd play through it exactly once. Uh, and uh, that for me, that definitely did not end up being the case. So I'm very excited to talk about it here today. Yeah, we very quickly realized that that wasn't feasible in terms of reviewing the game particularly since we played at co-op it's such a different experience from the single player and of course uh how could i forget drew kosalek host of the wdgr podcast drew tell us how you're going you excited to talk about streets of rage 2 yeah man i am super excited i'm thrilled to be here first of all so thank you guys for inviting me to be a part of your show i'm really looking forward to talking about this game this is uh this is going to be challenging for me because i am a lover of retro games and i have a hard time turning off a switch that puts everything in perspective with history and i know mm. that's not how you guys present your show so this is i'm accepting the challenge that retrospectives has presented me and i'm going headfirst in and i'm going to give a fair and honest opinion yeah it's funny because the thing is broadly speaking i think evaluating things in their historical context is the best way to gain an understanding of them but as you said with our show, it's not about gaining the best understanding or historical appreciation. It's just, did we have a fun time playing this game today? It's a simple way of doing things, but in a lot of ways, it's the most genuine and honest way of doing things. Mm -hmm. um, before we get into the details of Streets of Rage 2, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about you, Drew? Um, I've uh, listened to your podcast many times over the years, but I'll let you do the plugging for yourself. Tell us about yourself. Tell us about your show. Thank you very much. Well, I am one half of Will and Drew's Gaming Retrospective. We are a weekly uh, gaming podcast. We tend to focus more on uh, consoles and modern uh, gaming. We do game reviews. We talk about current events. And we've been, uh, since our, our 100th episode, we've been actually streaming weekly live on Twitch uh, at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, I'm over here in the United States. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, doing the show live on the air rather than uh, doing it pre-recorded. It's been a little more stressful, but um, <laughs> there's been a lot of uh, a lot of interaction uh, with the with the fans, and I we try to make the show as interactive as possible too because um, I actually have a background in in uh, video, and uh, I try to take the stream as much uh, like a TV production as possible. So we have um, transitions. You're not just looking at two talking heads. You have other stuff going on. Yeah, I've been um, I've been watching your past few episodes. Um, this March Madness thing you're doing, mm. uh, and my boy, the the work you're doing with the transitions and the spreadsheets and everything is very <laughs> impressive. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, we are we're currently running a a March Madness bracket for basically the top sixty four video game franchises, and uh, you know here in the United States we we have a yearly uh, NCAA college basketball tournament, and it's a huge thing. Being from Connecticut, my my home team, UConn University of Connecticut, usually dominates 
the competition. So I wanted to see what video game would dominate the competition. So we picked hmm. 64 franchises. Will and I held a mock draft where we picked teams one at a time. We broke them up into four uh, quadrants, which we're calling conferences. And based on our drafts, we seeded them so that we would have like your number one seed would be, you know, the best game theoretically in that bracket versus the 16th seed would probably be one of the worst games. And you pair them off and we've been having to go up to vote on Twitter. And it's it's been a lot of fun getting uh, some some great reactions from people. Some people are absolutely pissed that their favorite games are getting destroyed, <laughs> myself included. But <laughs> me too, mate. So the one that made me the most upset was definitely Dead Space beating Battlefield. Are you kidding me? What is wrong with your fans, Drew? Uh, well, first of all, Dead Space is better, and secondly, <laughs> Dead Space is better. It's funny. I've actually been um, using Patrick's Twitter to vote on these each week. <laughs> And I've been specifically, I've not been picking ones that I myself wouldn't choose, but every time I pick a game that I know Patrick hates as being the winner, it just fills me with a little, a little joy inside. So I've been, uh, you know, immensely enjoying this March Madness you guys have got going on. Thank you. Thank you. We, uh, we're, we're finishing up the Sweet 16. Voting will end on that uh, in just a couple of days. So, uh, you know, tune in and uh, be sure to follow us on all social media but if you want to vote voting is exclusive on twitter at wdgr podcast we have a, a website as well too www.wdgrpodcast.com that stands for will and drew's gaming retrospective and we'll um we'll pop all the links to that in the show notes so you can check that out after actually actually Thank while you. we're talking about the website i have a little little thing to admit i actually stole part of the formatting on our website from yours <laughs> um, <laughs> under our under our, our episode player we've got a bunch of links um, to all mm. our different places you can listen to us and i just copied that straight off your website that's um, quite all right it, you know it was a it was a good format you know <laughs> thank you thank you that is the story of our relationship drew because i also did the same <laughs> with that discord server i'm like man mm. this guy's got a good thing on with this discord server <laughs> yeah i just i have to admit though like i'm just a little jealous that i'm not your first podcast guest uh you already had uh nick from salt city games on the show and I think mm. you guys had one other podcaster on a while back when you were doing Halo, right? Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. we wanted to have you on for a while. It's just so hard to, um, as as you well know, it's hard to find the time to mm. actually play a game from start to finish. But Absolutely. we are very grateful that you finally joined us. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. I'm really looking forward to this discussion. Okay, cool. Um, time to talk about the game, I guess. Uh, so, Streets of Rage 2. So, we decided on Streets of Rage 2 as our first kind of game from this side-scrolling beat-em-up genre after doing some um, investigation mainly posting on reddit and looking at what people thought we should play um, a lot of people said streets of rage remake which is a remake of the first but streets of rage 2 is consistently held up as you know by many people as one of the strongest games in its genre so we thought if we're going to get into this genre, may as well start with one of the best to give us an idea of what a golden example of this game is. So it's a side-scrolling beat-em-up, as I said. It was first released for the Sega Genesis in 1992. It was developed by an ad hoc team of several companies, Sega, Ancient, Shout, Designworks, m and Software, and HIC. 
Um, quite an unusual thing. I don't know if it's normal for lots of uh, companies to work on a single game. At this stage, I'm assuming there was a lot of outsourcing. Um, Drew mentioned before that Ancient uh, was the company of the person who composed the music. So it could just be that, you know, it was a collaborative effort. So Streets of Rage 2 was later ported to the Game Gear, PSN, and even the 3DS eShop. Um, it's later had official emulation support on Steam and GOG. And it's part of the Seeker Genesis's minis game library. So there's a lot of ways to access this game nowadays. Um, it had a big revival, this this franchise, and the genre in a way, uh, because just last year, in 2020, we saw the release of Streets of Rage 4, and pretty much to universal acclaim, Streets of Rage 4 held in very high regard. And to give you an idea of the gap, it was 26 years after the last title was released in 1994, so a huge revival out of nowhere. To give you a very, very basic idea of what Streets of Rage 2 looks like and how it plays, uh, for those who don't know what a side-scrolling beat-em-up is, it's a side-scroller but with depth. So you're moving left and right on the screen, but you can also move up and down. But it's in terms of depth. This isn't a bird's-eye view, it's still a side-on view but there are different planes that you can occupy. If you move up the screen, you can attack the enemies on the upper side of the screen. And if you move further down, you can, you know, you can attack enemies further down. So there are, it is four directional movement, but the orientation is such that the left and right movements feel a lot more than the up and down movements. Uh, you move through each stage. You can only go right, you can't go left. You kill all the enemies or beat all the enemies in an area before moving on to the next area. And the further you go right, the more enemies will spawn. Um, you keep going right until you reach the boss of the stage. You beat that boss and then boom, you're done. That's the entire game. Moving from left to right, finding enemies in each area as you go. Eight stages, so you repeat this process eight times and you finish the game. So that's just a very basic overview of uh, of Streets of Rage 2. Um, before we get into the substance of our criticism of the game, though, I think it might be a good idea to talk about our familiarity with the broader genre of side-scrolling beat-em-ups. Because uh, for me, at least, I have literally never played a side-scrolling beat-em-up before. The closest game to this that I've played is Beautiful Joe, and Beautiful Joe is very far removed from this. I haven't even really played fighting games like Street Fighter 2. Um, I've played my fair share of 3D brawlers, your Devil May Cries and your Bayonettas and things like that, but this was completely new to me. Um, we'll start with you, Drew. What, what's your experience like with this genre? Were you coming in with a lot of familiarity with the, um, the tropes of Streets of Rage, or was it a fresh experience? I think I came in with quite a bit of familiarity. Um, I grew up in uh, the golden age of arcades, and, you know, the local arcade had uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles arcade machine. It had the X-Men, which the uh, there was a six player one, which was just absolutely insane. So would play those games and ultimately beat em ups are quarter munchers. They are meant to take your tokens. They are meant to be as cheap as possible. So really, you were limited by the size of your pockets going into these. <laughs> and as a young kid, you know, when your grandfather gives you a $5 bill, maybe those arcade machines aren't the best ones to get your, you know, your money's worth. So I would certainly dabble with them. I would I would play them until I died, maybe pop in another set of quarters. 
and then I would likely move on to play Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat or you know one of the other machines that were a little less a little less cheap. But I don't have a ton of experience with beat 'em ups on consoles. I did not own a Sega Genesis when I was growing up. So Streets of Rage 2 was always kind of a game that I was familiar with by word of mouth, but nothing that I had any experience with personally. Fast forward, uh, you know, 30 or so years and, you know, Streets of Rage 4 came out and the beat-em-up has kind of seen a bit of a revival. You have Scott Pilgrim that just got re-released. Uh, mm. River City Girls is another popular one. And I've dabbled with those, um, you know, especially with ga Xbox Game Pass. You have access to some of those games. Streets of Rage 4 is currently on there. And I certainly fired it up and I played it and I found the experience enjoyable, but I didn't stick with it beyond just uh, a couple days worth of, of dabbling. I think probably my most recent claim to fame is uh, hitting up a local barcade about five or so years uh, ago. And myself and three other friends pumped enough quarters into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles until we actually managed to beat it. But, you know, that's really about where, where my expertise with the genre stops I don't really have any more details that I can compare uh, beyond just memories, unfortunately. You know, I couldn't tell you that maybe this game is faster or this game is more accurate than those research too. Yeah, it's a casual engagement. The expression right. I like to use is that I played these games when I was an idiot child. Which is <laughs> 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 maybe less flattering, but uh, yeah. Mm. Well, what about you, James? Have you, um, have you played anything resembling a 2D side-scrolling uh, brawl em up before? So I'd also never played one of these games before until doing it with you for the first time, like last week in co-op. Um, I have played a number of fighting games before, like Street Fighter and that, and I did find that, you know, being used to the control schemes that those games have made me feel like I had a leg up in controlling this game. Um, I felt that, like, a lot of the, you know, the special moves came more naturally to me than they did you when we were playing co-op. Yeah, I burned through my lives a lot faster than you did, that's for sure. <laughs> but then, other than that, you know, not a whole lot. Um, after we did play through co-op, I ended up purchasing Streets of Rage 4 as a comparison point um, and playing through that with a couple of friends as well. So, you know, I have very limited exposure to this genre um, prior to this last week. But over this last week, I've, you know, done my best to expose myself to as much of it as I can. Can Can I ask you about that, Drew? Because one of the things that that happened as I was playing this game is I kept thinking, like, do fight, are fighting games, like, related to this? Like, are the concepts of spacing and, you know, punching in, you know, combos the same? Like, how did you feel? Did you feel like there was a relationship here? Do you reckon your experience with fighting games helped you a lot? Because I know you've played a lot of them. Yeah, I think there is a correlation between the two. Obviously, there are a significant number of differences, but being able to judge the spacing, your character's reach, you know, uh, seeing how far they're able to punch versus jump, uh, jump kick, getting the timing down for that. Um, that's very uh, relatable to fighting games. Uh, special moves. Um, although, well, special move <laughs> yeah special <laughs> special move is is more accurate i was gonna i was gonna try to elaborate on that but you you, you did it for me <laughs> um yeah so it really there were there were quite a few uh similarities that i think helped but at the same token too with a fighting game you're dealing with one person so you only have the situational awareness of what's in front of you you don't have to worry about what's behind you you don't have to worry about the stage locking you out 
uh, from mm-hmm. from backtracking. There is no backtracking. The stage will scroll to the left, or it'll scroll to the right, and it'll scroll back to the left again when you're done with a fighting game. With 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 Streets of Rage, once you move forward, you you can only keep going forward. Yeah, and no concept of crowd control. I think is probably the other big big mm-hmm. change. When you're not yeah. dealing with when you're dealing with multiple enemies, you need some way to not have five enemies attacking you at once. That's something that's not going to ever happen in a fighting game. Correct. Or at least no fighting game I've heard of. Um, okay, yeah. So for the most part, we're pretty amateurish, although maybe enthused amateurs is a good way to look at that. And for me, I'm a hopeless person who knows absolutely nothing outside <laughs> of my experiences in the past two weeks. Uh, okay, let's talk a little bit about how we played it, because um, while James and I played on the Steam version, which is a whopping $1 purchase on Steam, which runs through the official Sega Genesis emulator software, no different from emulating it. Um, it's just a ROM, but with some, you know, with some fancy settings. Uh, Drew, you were telling me you played this game a little bit differently. I actually used a uh, Sega Genesis Mini that I had purchased uh, last year when it came out. Or actually, I'm sorry, it came out in 2019. And this was really the first time that I had played this system uh, with with any length. Um, I purchased it when it came out, and then it just kind of sat there and collected dust. I think I fired it up once or twice, played a little bit of Sonic, and called it a day. So when you mentioned that you wanted to do Streets of Rage 2, I was pretty excited. I'm like, yes, this is going to be my chance to finally pay the, play this thing that I never played. I bought it and it just sat there. And um, at the end of the day, you're still pretty much running ROMs. It's not much different than what your experience was, with the exception of, I think, the controller uh, would probably be the big difference. But the the, the Mini was, was well done, you know. Uh, M2 uh, developed it, and and they put a lot of effort into it, a lot of love and care, and I think it really shows. Um, can you tell us a bit more about the controller? Because I think James and I just both played on mm. Xbox controllers. I played with a uh, good Xbox One controller, and James played with his shitty, outdated Xbox 360 controller, and he refuses to admit <laughs> that mine's better than his. I love my old 360 controller. <laughs> no. The sticks feel really weird. I don't. I can't get used to it. They're just not really stiff weird, enough James. for me. Oh. Anyway, we played with <laughs> we played with fairly similar controllers. What, mm. What's um? Tell us about this Sega Genesis controller because I'm very ignorant of like these yeah. different controllers and how they affect gameplay. And I know it's a big a big thing for you. Yeah. So so I mean I'm I'm really glad that I had the opportunity to use the mini because uh, I feel that often games are at least back in the day, uh, they were designed with controllers in mind. Um, nowadays, it's not so much a, a problem because every controller is essentially the same. But in the 16-bit era, the Sega Genesis controller was vastly different from the Super Nintendo controller. We have a direction pad, and then you have three buttons that are in a horizontal row, A, B, and C. And uh, Sega did eventually release a six-button pad, which uh, duplicated the uh the horizontal row with a, another set of buttons x y and z but the original one that came out with it was just a three button controller you had a start button a d-pad a b and c and nothing else and i think that for a game like streets of rage uh that simplicity is kept in mind with the controls you you have essentially three things that you can do you have a jump you have an attack and you have a special move and 
the positioning of those buttons, I think, is important because they kind of help you with the flow of the game. You know, your jump button is the C button. So it's the last one in the row. And and next to that is your attack in the middle. The B button is your, your attack button. So you're a lot, often jumping and attacking at the same time. They kept that in mind when they were designing this and, and made it easier so that you can press both buttons at the same time to do certain things. I just have a quick question about how you held the controller, because have you heard of the claw grip that you can use on controllers? Yeah, that's blasphemy. Oh, you, you, you're not a believer in the claw grip. I just thought that I'm not. I could be I could be off the mark here. I thought that for maybe fighting games and um, brawler games, perhaps a claw grip that kind of emulates the um, arcade cabinets may be better, mm. but, but maybe I'm off the mark. I think it's just about comfort. You know, mm-hmm. um, for, for me, I don't find that grip comfortable. I don't have a problem with it if somebody wants to use it. Um, I just held it the normal way. Occasionally, what I would do was if I was uh, either grabbing somebody or in a grab, I would kind of default to this button mashing method that I've been using for years, where I just take my hand and I just slide rapidly back and forth across all the buttons, <laughs> um, which, which is a great idea until you accidentally trigger a, uh, a special move that, you know, uh, you didn't mean to do, and it was also compl- it was also completely ineffective. So, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I I just don't personally find the claw grip to be worthwhile. Yeah, of course, and I mean, I I did exactly the same thing. I was just wondering. I mean, James, you just used a standard controller grip as well, right? Yep, absolutely. So, can you guys tell me about like what your button layout was for this? Because I think this is something that's that's uh, really curious to me. Okay, so when I initially started playing. Um, I had a really weird button layout, so using the the Xbox controller, um, so Streets of Rage only really has three buttons. You have your Mm. punch, your jump, and your special move. So when I started playing, I kind of just bound the buttons, you know, in order. So I had my jump on the right button, like Mm -hmm. of the four buttons on the right I had special on the bottom one and mm-hmm. punch on the left button. Awful. That was awful. Um, after I played Streets of Rage 4, um, I quickly swapped my Streets of Rage 2 controller to that configuration, which is jump on the bottom button, punch on the left, and then special on the top button. Mm. Uh, and that worked so much better because now, instead of having to press left and right at the same time for your back attack, uh, I just had to use my thumb for, you know, down and left at the same time, which was uh, mm. much easier. Um, okay, so I, I, I just used uh, X, X for my special, so the one on the left for my special, um, regular attack on A and jump on B. So I was predominantly using just A and B, and I was using my thumb to hit A and B at the same time when I needed to do those attacks. That sounds like it's uh, the closest to uh, the Genesis yeah. way. Yeah. If you were to take all three of those buttons and just put them in a horizontal row, uh, that would line up. Yeah, it, it's it's very interesting, yeah, the, the differences, I think. But, but Drew, i got to say, I, I got to disagree with this idea that the original way it was done was necessarily the best because there are i feel like there are design limitations of this game that could be solved uh with uh, a controller with more buttons so and i know this is a sticky point that we've had over the (laughs) over the years i guess (laughs) arguing everywhere so i'm going to specifically propose to you a couple of changes and you can let me know if i've gone mad or not sure so the number one thing that infuriates me about this game's controls that I think could be improved a lot is the lack of a dedicated grab button. 
So the way grabs work mm. in Shred of Rage is that you use your directional pad and you literally walk into an enemy and it triggers a grab. And I think that the reason that the, that they do this is because there's only so many buttons on the original controller. I would make the case that if you had a dedicated grab button, you would feel like you have a lot more control over when you choose to grab enemies and it would also remove the frustration of constantly grabbing allies can can you elaborate on the i I did not have an opportunity to play this co-op you can actually grab your allies in this if you if you run into your ally it just immediately initiates a grab oh that's terrible (laughs) (laughs) and friendly fires on all the time um when pat and i first played this in co-op i reckon we were each each other's worst enemies like more so than (laughs) usual um i and then when I like it's the same in four as well. So when I played four, we played with three players, and man, so hard not to hit other players because the screen area that you've got to work in is actually quite small. Um, we did eventually um, realize that if we kind of stay like top and bottom instead of like because originally when we were playing co-op, we were trying to play like on the left and right side of the screen, and then we realized if we do top and bottom, we have so much more horizontal movement. Um, mm. And that works a lot better. Not so good in three player, but you know, two it definitely worked. Um, I just want to say I kind of so disagree about the grabbing thing. So mm-hmm. four does some nice things with adding. Um, there's a but- dedicated button for throwing items. I think that's an improvement over pressing two buttons at once. And there's also a dedicated button to hit to attack behind you. Um, which again in Streets of Rage 2 is by holding two buttons down and that's a nice quality of change. But I think that the idea of grabs being kind of like zonal is really important when you get into fights that have lots of enemies because it becomes really important to watch your positioning um, because sometimes if you get into a group of enemies you'll accidentally grab somebody and then just get beaten to death um because you can't get out of the grab fast enough um and it also has a couple of other gameplay implications that we might go into later but like i think it's a pretty large mechanical change to add it to a button so what you're saying is that you like the idea that poor positioning and accidentally grabbing people is something you should be punished for like and you should be rewarded for not doing that yeah so when i when we first played the game i found it a bit frustrating but like Having played through the game multiple times now, I can I feel like I appreciate it more and I do like that that it encourages me to be smarter with my positioning. I, I could kind of agree with what James is saying there as well too. You know, you want to avoid being cornered as much as possible. You want to avoid being surrounded as much as possible. The idea of having a dedicated grab button, I don't think really does anything to discourage that that sort of behavior you know um i would say the number one reason that i want a dedicated grab button is that i think the notion of grab priority is very confusing and maybe you guys understand it better than i do um early on in the game you can just grab enemies with impunity no problems and as the game progresses it becomes harder and harder and harder particularly against specific bosses like the boxer boss and the um the boss at the bottom of the baseball ring i found timing grabs very difficult and i think that if grabbing was a very small instead of it being just something that seems to instantaneously happen if it was something with a very tiny animation 
where you have to line up a grab and vice versa with enemies having to grab you, I would feel like I have a better sense of control over it. But perhaps I'm just being amateurish and there is a greater degree of, of control over this than, um, than I'm claiming. So my only other major controls gripe, and maybe you'll roll your eyes at this Street Fighter fans, but um, I didn't like that to do your grand upper or your special, not special attack, to do your regular powerful attack, you had to press right, right, normal attack. Because to me, this is the definite, what, what a modern game would do is you would have a light attack and a heavy attack. And I would say light attack, heavy attack, in a lot of ways for brawlers from Dark Souls to... Devil May Cry to God of War, you have light attack, heavy attack. And in this game, the uppercut for Axel and the light attack are exactly light attack, heavy attack. So there is literally no reason you can't have light attack on one button on heavy attack on another, except to add an unnecessary dexterity component to actually wanting to do what you want to do. I want to take this opportunity to get angry at Patrick for all of the like fighting game players listening. <laughs> forward, forward punch is literally like baby's first special move input, right? Like, but it's unnecessary. In Street Fighter, for example, there is not a single move, a special move that is that easy to input. You're either doing like quarter circles forward or doing like Z motions, and then heaven forbid you get all the way up to a pretzel motion. Um, and then pressing punch, uh, I think forward, forward punch, super manageable. Like I, maybe, maybe just cause I've played a fair amount of fighting games. I just do it without thinking, I guess. Well, here's the thing too. It's not just the uppercut for Axel. You have to consider the other three characters and, and what they're doing and how it's different from what Axel does. So yes, maybe uh, it is a heavy punch in most fighting games to do an uppercut. But for Max, it's a sliding kick when he does that sure. that move. So it's a completely different thing. But but why? what, what I'm saying, it, I guess the gist of my argument is that uh, there aren't an endless number of moves in this game. It's not like you've got 100 moves and you need to come up with ways to maximize a um a controller to make all those moves i mean that's what you had to do in the old days when you only had three buttons but nowadays why not just have that button be a single input and in today's day i would have put a heavy attack on a single button and it would have made the game as a simplistic street brawler a lot more satisfying for me to play instead of me fucking trying to spam buttons in order to actually do what I wanted to do. I, I think you're neglecting the cool factor. You know, you're you're yeah. you're missing out on the idea of just being able to do something that's really badass looking. Um, because if you had eight buttons on the controller, I guarantee you there would still be st some kind of cool special move. You know, why not bind Scorpion's Spear from Mortal Kombat to one button press? Why not bind... Uh, Ryu's Hadouken to one button press at that point. You're you're simplifying the coolness of something that is more powerful than just a heavy attack. I, I'd play that game if I had like every key on my keyboard was a different special attack. That sounds oh. fun to me. <laughs> I would. I would. You have to you have to just strike the right key that does the right special attack. That you sounds, know, we'll, that we'll just wonderful. we'll just program a bot to play the game for you at this point. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, so with the special attacks, having it be on this like slightly more difficult input gives you, you know, the, it, it makes it harder to cancel out of like attack strings into it, and it makes it harder to do it on the fly. Like sometimes you'll drop it, and because you dropped it, you get put into this unexpected situation that you need then need to like claw yourself out of. I don't know. I think it adds some to the game. I think when we were playing this game initially, I was definitely, and I know you definitely were not using it enough um because now like i almost dispatch every enemy using that attack um <laughs> it's just so damn good um but like the i feel satisfied because the difference in my play style from you know relying on the three hit punch combo um to you know moving that special attack into a lot of my attack strings um, you know, makes me feel good at the game, and I, I, I appreciate that about Streets of Rage too. Yeah, I think I'm just showing my ignorance of the fighting genre here, because to me, <laughs> I would have I would have enjoyed the game more if I didn't have to do you know two extra button presses every time I wanted to do this attack. It wasn't so complex that I felt like mm. I was doing anything particularly tricky or difficult. It was just annoying enough to be frustrating. So yeah, I wasn't yeah. a fan of this, but. I can see that um <laughs> I can see that I'm uh, speaking to the wrong crowd here about that. Yeah, you you can see that you're wrong, sir. Uh, <laughs> no, but but I mean I, I think I I don't think that adding a heavy punch would be a bad thing. Uh I think it could open up a whole new level of combos and stringing together moves uh that that we are lacking right now, but I don't think that that would be in lieu of removing the special attack altogether. Um, in fact, I think if they had another button and they had a heavy attack, they would add more special moves. Yeah, I think adding more, you know, adding more buttons would even make it funner. But, you know, I think this game's, and we'll get into this a bit later, has a very tight little move list that works very well within the confines of its mechanics. Um, I think it's about time we had a music break. Um, so I have something painful to admit and i don't know you know if people are going to get upset with me but when patrick and i were playing through this game on co-op the very first thing i said about this game out loud was holy shit this music sucks um <laughs> and i was like holy fuck i fucking hate this soundtrack and i said that the entire time we were doing our co-op experience um and after i sat back down and i played it through a few times on my own I realized that my computer monitor, which we were playing the music out of when we were doing co-op, has extremely shitty speakers. So mm -hmm. um, after playing through the game by myself, my opinion of the game, uh, the music went up considerably. I wouldn't say I love the soundtrack of this game, but it's pretty, you know, it's pretty all right. It's not, you know, as bad as I was subjecting Patrick to my complaining for like two hours <laughs> for. Yeah, um... I think my impressions kind of uh, echoed your first sentiments. <laughs> oh, okay. Maybe um, I wasn't wrong. There, there, there are some some absolute bangers uh, in here, but I think the majority of the soundtrack just really just didn't do it for me. I was convinced that everyone was going to say they loved this soundtrack, but uh, maybe I feel less bad if you're also saying it's not that great. Um, well, how about we chat a bit more about the music specifically after we play some for the audience so they have a bit of context. Um, did you have a song that you wanted to share in particular that you thought was particularly bad or one that was really good? In, in my opinion, the best song on the entire soundtrack is the starting song, the, the, the intro and the stage eight song uh 
It's called SOR Remix. Um, I think this is an absolute banger. First time I heard it, I was like, yeah, Streets of Rage 2, let's go. And then the rest of the music played. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's play Let's play this SOR Remix song, um, and then we can criticize the music, and everyone's going to be like, what the hell? That sounded great. So here it is, guys. That was the title track for Streets of Rage 2. It was pretty good. I also thought that it was one of the better songs on the soundtrack. Um, did you have some more substantive criticism about the soundtrack, Drew? Yeah, I, I, I kind of felt like the... Maybe the music just isn't for me. I, I don't know. The composer, I believe, was trying to emulate what he thought was the club scene. Um, but I just kind of felt like it was just a foreign look at what somebody thought American music sounded like rather, rather than actually being representative of American music. You know, I, I feel like it's, it's pretty clear throughout the game that streets of rage two is playing in like the gritty streets of an American city, like Detroit, New York, Philadelphia, one of those types of places. Right. And they just, I don't know. It just felt like, an outsider looking in as to what they thought popular music was at the time. I gotta say, I'm probably a little bit higher on the music than both of you, surprisingly. Um, like James, I thought the music sounded pretty mediocre when we first listened to it, but when I listened to it on my proper headphones, my impressions jumped up dramatically. I think it doesn't help that I think the first stage music, which is Go Right, to me is the weakest song in the entire soundtrack, or at least one of the two weakest. Um, but I think that as the as you progress, that you have an impressive variety of um, of sounds, and you know, different to fit the different atmospheres and areas you're moving through. Um, I enjoyed it a lot. I will say that in terms of vibe. Uh, I have no idea what this game is going for. Like like Drew said, it's kind of gritty, or it seems to be kind of going for gritty in some way, but that it's it's very alien and weird. It's <laughs> I think an outsider's depiction of America is a pretty good way of putting it. Mm. So to that sense, when I listen to this music, I don't think 
fighting game or street brawler i i don't i just think streets of rage 2 this is this is the music that matches streets of rage 2 Mm. but it's a very um it's it's kind of surreal it's it's withdrawn from reality or i guess my knowledge or understanding of the genre so i i I liked the music i thought it was very good with a couple of standout tracks uh dreamer was definitely my favorite uh but if you had to ask me how to describe the atmosphere of this game i don't have a fucking clue (laughs) (laughs) um one thing i do want to comment positively on with the music is i think uh the composer used uh stereo effects quite effectively uh to kind of pan from the left channel to the right channel and that didn't really come across on my my tv when i was playing the game but when i was listening to uh, the soundtrack in the car uh, i i was much more aware of that and i think that those uh panning effects uh were were done tastefully i thought uh it was very effective and it's something that's kind of stands out to me um you know i've always enjoyed that as as a musician when somebody mixes uh different effects into a song where you're utilizing your left and and right channels uh that that jumps out that gives it a little bit more punch a little bit more uh depth than you would normally get from something that's just kind of mixed where everything is 50 50 Mm. i think for me the thing that made the soundtrack get on my nerves a couple of times was it's very upbeat and high tempo like the entire time uh, and in some points can actually get quite repetitive and i found it to be a bit grating like i turned it off several times even though my opinion did come up once i listened to it on you know headphones so like overall i'm not super high on it but i didn't hate it in the end it just kind of like had some good tracks and then the ones that were bad like i really didn't like like they got on my nerves the boss music was just terrible yeah but you you do you do blast through each stage in like five to ten minutes so while it is repetitive it's not like you know when we were playing ape escape and it would take you 25 to 30 minutes to (laughs) To get through a level stage yeah or or even something like banjo kazooie you're not you're not spending as long in each stage, so I didn't find the repetitiveness to be nearly as much of an issue because of it. No, that's a good point. Yeah, I think that's perfectly fair. Um, overall, I think Pat's the only person who has a mostly positive opinion about the game's music. <laughs> um, so yeah, I wasn't uh, going to pick that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I wanted to move on to another topic quickly. Well, not quickly even. Um, so Streets of Ray, I wanted to talk about our initial impressions of the game, right? Because Streets of Rage 2 is, you know, from what I can tell online and from things I've heard and read over the years, uh, is considered to be a fairly difficult game. And I thought that that, you know, that opinion was reflected in the initial playthrough that me and Patrick did, right? Like, uh, when we first played through this game, we were not good at it, right? Like, we were... So the game gives you, like, six, seven, eight lives to play with to begin with. Um, And if you lose all your lives, you can continue and get them all back, like, twice. Uh, Patrick and I were, like, fully gaming over... Uh, pretty early on into the game whereas like now that i when i play the game i reckon i can get like most of the way through the game before losing one life um so i think that the initial learning curve and the like the huge challenge to get better at the game really i guess characterized most of my experience with it um did you guys feel the same way yeah so so for me i think that the learning curve of this game is very interesting and very different from 
most games that we've um that we've played so it's not difficult in the sense that dark souls is difficult sorry i have to go to dark souls the the old <laughs> yeah uh, of course you the do old, the old standby to, the old to chest me, right? so so to me dark souls has a the the major way to get good at dark souls is a matter of execution uh to me it's about learning precise dodge timings you know dying 30 times until you nail the patterns and get it correct streets of rage on the other hand for me was far far less about execution and more about mechanical understanding and wisdom in how to approach encounters because because i've never encountered this genre before i was very ignorant about how you're meant to play these games and for example some of the lessons i learned were you shouldn't approach an enemy head on because a lot of the enemies have powerful forward fronting attacks and if you just walk in a straight line towards them they're going to engage you before you engage them and there's not a lot to do about it that seems obvious to me now but it wasn't obvious then and it was very frustrating just getting hit over and over by enemies um i had to learn the fact that i had to use my um, vertical movement to go in for grabs uh if you move into an enemy vertically you often have grab priority once again, not obvious to me. A big one was learning, um, you know, the the stun locking that you can do on many enemies in this game with most characters. If you do single uh, punches with small gaps in between, you can effectively stun lock a lot of characters. Not not every enemy, but many of the enemies, or even just do so temporarily until another enemy, a dangerous enemy, approaches you, and utilizing that and using that strategy in my gameplay increased my survivability tenfold so yeah it was a difficult game incredibly difficult like like james said we were getting wrecked super early but it was more about understanding how these games function versus being good at the game with the exception of like stages seven and eight which are absurdly difficult for anyone to do on any level but for most of the game if you can just learn a few things you will get so much better so quickly yeah and to me and i don't know if you felt this way but whenever i learned anything um like you my ability at the game improved dramatically like sometimes in games you learn like a hundred different things and once you've learned all these hundred little tips and tricks you can then beat the level here it's like you learn one thing and instantly you're significantly better at the game and i found that like deeply rewarding and satisfying like every time i picked up and played the game i figured out like something new and i got drastically better because of it like maybe it was like i learned that you know if you do the one two three four punch combo you do like half an enemy's health but if you do one two cancel into special you just kill him outright um and then you know like you i learned that moving vertically for grabs means that you know every enemy attacks horizontally so if you move vertically you can grab them without getting hit uh something that we tried to do a lot in our playthrough together was jump in attack like a lot now that i play the game i literally never jump 
jump ever uh, because it just puts you into bad situations a lot of the time. Like, I never touched the jump button. That's not something I knew when I started playing the game. And, like, every single time I had a play session, I got better and it felt good. Like, whenever I... Like, because I hadn't played this genre before, my opinion of beat-em-ups were probably that they're, you know, pretty overall shallow games. But that opinion has kind of been, like, flipped on its head, I guess. I feel like... This game was like deeper and more rewarding many, many times more than I was expecting it to be going in for this episode. And I'm really glad we picked up this game because, you know, that opinion has, you know, made me think a lot more highly of the genre. Well, the game, if you think about it, plays like a continuous tutorial. It's not immediately obvious, but the first stage, almost none of the enemies attack. They're all very basic. They kind of just walk towards you. Maybe they'll throw a punch or two. And then they start filtering in, you know, at the end of the stage, you encounter like uh, a boss or you even have a mid boss. And once you encounter that mid boss or that boss in subsequent stages, those characters start to get filtered in and become regular enemies as well. Mm. And this pattern continues throughout the entire game. So, you know, you'll encounter one boss and and you'll only face one of them at, at that time you kind of have an opportunity to learn what that character does for its attacks and then in the next stage you'll encounter a weaker version of the same boss but in greater numbers yeah and um i found like i guess one of the criticisms i had at the game um after playing it a lot uh was that once you've like gotten good at the early stages there's not really an easy way without putting in cheats to kind of skip forward to later levels when you're like good enough to beat those so you kind of have to like go through the game and beat the first like four levels with your eyes closed after you know you've been able to do that a couple times every single time you want to like get to the you know the bit you're struggling with i mean thankfully it it, it's something that happens you know at greater and greater speeds the better you get but but um yeah i agree 100 with that and like i personally found myself save scumming a lot uh yeah. when i first started out um i knew going into this that i was gonna be uh having a bit of a trouble especially in the later levels and uh i used all four save slots on the genesis mini quite liberally let me tell you i used the cheat menu to give myself uh maximum lives and use stage select to practice as i went um my level of proficiency capped at giving myself uh five lives starting from stage one i was able to finish the game but I wasn't able to do a legitimate three lives start. Yeah, I was able to get to the last boss from three lives, but I died to to um to Shiva and then the boss and had to use a continue to beat it. Uh, that was my most successful run. I wasn't able to get past the uh, bear, the boxer in stage eight. Oh uh, yeah, um, yeah. That was I. I kind of walked into stage eight with two lives remaining and on my last continue. So that's uh that cheat code. Save my ass. That guy's hard, man. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Bear, you, you said before that, you know, going for vertical grabs is safe, but it's not against Bear because uh, he's got a vertical yeah, attack. Yeah, my, my, the thing I learned him. about that boss is that, you know, you just use your special attack on him and literally nothing else. That's how I beat I him I had trouble time timing now. it, though. Yeah, it, it's still hard. We, we should clarify that we're not talking about the thing that is called the special attack in the game. We're talking about the um the forward-forward attack. Did you guys use the actual special attack at all, or...? 
panic button pretty much that's yeah. the only time i really used it um if i was getting swamped on both sides and i just needed space um grand upper is gonna be better in most situations axel's yeah, punch combo it does insane damage if you're like on a boss and you got pretty high health i just felt like the risk versus reward wasn't quite there mm. in um in four they've changed it slightly so um in streets of rage 2 when you use special attacks it consume it does like a really strong attack but it uses a part of your health bar so in streets of rage 4 it still consumes health but it leaves like instead of like taking the health away permanently it like leaves ghost health there and if you attack enemies while the ghost health's there, you get the health back. But if you take a hit, you lose it all forever. So you could, like, special attack five times, go to 10%, and then claw your way back to full, uh, assuming you don't get hit. But if you get hit once, it's all gone forever. Um, and I found that made it very m more a lot more interesting, because you can do lots of risky stuff and then, like, get rewarded by getting it all back. Um, one of the big things I want to bring up about this game, um, and this isn't a criticism as much as it's an observation, is that, and this may sound obvious, but Streets of Rage 2 has no block, and it mm. has no parry, and it has no dodge roll. It does have a jump, but the jump doesn't have invincibility frames on it, or if it does, it only has them at a very specific point. Um, and I think this has a lot of implications for how this game plays and how you learn as you play, which is the main one being that the way to defeat enemies isn't to observe and dodge, observe and dodge, observe and dodge. It's to find a moment to counterattack or, you know, go on the aggressive and counterattack as they're attacking you with a priority attack, whether that's from positioning or because one attack has priority over another. And I think that this actually makes learning the game uh, more difficult in some ways because you can't be endlessly patient. It doesn't feel like I can play Sh Streets of Rage the way I would have, you know, from Software or Devil May Cry or a God of War boss, where you play patiently and slowly and, you know, gradually dodge and get familiar with the rhythms and timings and then eventually, you know, start getting some chip damage in. No, you have to find the weakness in their attack and start counterattacking like when they're in the beginning wind up of their attack animation, the moment you see it. And I don't think this is a bad thing that there's no block or parry. Obviously, the whole game has been designed around this idea of being aggressive and being fast. Uh. But I do wonder, would this game be better if there was like, I don't know, like a really short frame parry, whether it was like, or a very short frame block, even if it was only like five frames long or whatever, would that add to the experience or would it detract? Yeah, so I think what you're getting at is that it's harder for new players to get into because they don't have this like defensive option they can fall back on uh, in order to get their bearings. Because like you, I also agree that this lack of blocking encourages heavy aggression because the longer enemies are on the screen, the more likely that they do an attack you weren't expecting and you to lose some health. So it's often advantageous for you to try and like a grab an enemy and throw them into a bunch to grab to group them up and knock them down like for crowd control and b just like killing them as fast as you can when they come on screen so that you don't get overwhelmed 
Yeah, I found myself wishing there was a block button frequently. Even just something simple to kind of give myself some breathing room, because otherwise, you know, you're just you have to be on the aggression constantly. And, you know, that's not always feasible when you're being surrounded. When you think about, for example, one of the enemies I found extremely frustrating was Jet, the guy in the jetpack. Oh, God. Yeah. Because the way the way I fought him was I basically would back away until he did a charging attack at me and then I would kick him and I would rinse and repeat this process over and over again. And every time I did it, I was thinking, wouldn't it be more satisfying if when he attacks me, I can pull off this insta frame block and then punish him, mm. you know, for being out of position. But generally, the way you're playing this game isn't wait for an enemy to finish their attack and then... Uh, and then punish them. Although, to be fair, there is a bit of that. There is some grab punishing you can do, and enemies do tend to be vulnerable after they finish an attack. I just found that counterattacking was was nine times out of ten the approach I took, and by far the more effective approach. Yeah, because it does more damage if you catch them out, like if you counter hit them. Um, if they're in the middle of their attack and your attack goes through, they take a bunch of extra damage for it. So you can often like take off half a boss's health bar with one well-timed hit. And I kind of like um, that encouraging the aggressive risk reward there. It means that when you pull it off, it feels really satisfying, but you really have to like work to get that good hit in. The battle with Jet also brings up another criticism that I have uh, about the jumping mechanics in this game. Um, Jet and other characters that you face uh, are very adept at traversing the vertical depth of field, whereas your characters are not. Uh, For example, at least in my experience, I was not able to jump in a vertical manner, you know, uh, towards or away from the screen. And I found that incredibly frustrating against these characters that were constantly moving in that depth. Uh, Did you guys experience that as well? Yeah, you were so slow. You are so slow compared to the enemies you're facing. Well, it's not even just a tempo thing, but it, it becomes almost impossible to line them up properly uh, without getting hit. You know, there there was no way for me to take advantage of that uh, that three D space with with a character that was jumping or flying, um, regardless of speed. I couldn't match that depth of, of uh, movement uh, with the jumping mechanic at all. Yeah, there were three enemies in particular that I thought were really bad for this. Um, A, Jet. B, in the, like, the haunted house, there's that, like, head on the wall, um, which is What is with that boss? Like, why, why, it's, it's not even that hard, it's just fucking annoying. It's so I thought that was an actual alien. Okay, hold on, I have a confession. I, when I played that stage, I didn't realize it was an amusement park, and I didn't realize that that was a haunted house, and I was trying to figure out genuinely why all of a sudden i was in an alien spaceship no 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 when i was playing this game with patrick i was constantly like why are we here why are we on this pirate ship now what's going on oh yeah by the way you go onto the pirate ship and ninjas immediately attack you (laughs) i mean i think that's a bit of a joke there but like I had no idea what was going on in this game, and to be honest, I didn't really care that much as long as I got to punch more enemies. But it doesn't—it does a a really poor job of explaining to the player like why your character's going to the places he is. Um, so I'm thinking we should take one more quick music break, and then we can continue our discussions. Um, James, what piece of music would you like to cover? Okay, so there were. I feel I always feel bad when like we really criticize the music, and then we only play the good stuff. Partially because I don't want to subject our listeners to the bad stuff. 
um, but also because it doesn't give a really good, uh, you know, when we're criticizing, it doesn't really line up with what you're listening. But in any case, my favorite song on the soundtrack was Slow Moon, and it's one of the slower tracks on the, the soundtrack because I found the really, you know, high octane ones really grating and got on my nerves. So when it slowed down, uh, a little bit. I thought that it did a much better job and I quite enjoyed it. So this is Slow Moon. Slow Moon, I liked it quite a bit. Uh, where did you want to go from here, Pat? So I wanted to jump into um, a serious criticism I have with how this game functions a lot of the time. And that's related to what I was saying about the learning process. Once you learn how to do something, the execution is often not that difficult. Because the problem is that when you learn how to do something and the execution isn't difficult... Well, it kind of stops being fun to a degree. Um, you're not being challenged and you're just going through the motions. What that means for Streets of Rage 2 is that a lot of the ways you defeat single enemies is by stunlocking them or getting them into a pattern that you repeat over and over again. I guess you could just call that stunlocking with extra steps. And I don't find this a satisfying way to design bosses or a satisfying way to solve bosses and beat bosses. But why wouldn't I take the opportunity to punch an enemy 18 times in a row with a small gap in between if that is the most effective way of dealing with said boss? And if also that's a strategy used by the others that I see playing the game. I think that one area in which Streaks of Rage 2 has held up quite poorly, and this isn't true of every single boss, there are some bosses that are more complicated, is the way you just kind of abuse the enemy AI, whether it's getting them stuck in the same pattern and just using the same attack on them over and over again, or just punching the mating tires with gaps in between. I don't think this is a satisfying way to do boss design, and I think often it's done pretty poorly in Streets of Rage 2. I completely agree with you. Like, even when we were playing through in co-op, one thing that we were doing quite often was like you'd jump attack into a boss knock them down and then like as they were getting up you'd time it so you jump attack hit them and then you just do that until they were dead um and though even though i transitioned into doing 
um, the uppercut instead of a jumping kick, like when I got a bit better. I still never found the bosses very fun to interact with. Um, I think Streets of Rage 4 has fixed this somewhat by making the bosses have like patterns you need to react to accordingly and super armor on certain attacks. They feel a lot more back and forth in the way that you fight them, whereas here it's like you get them into a loop and you just execute that loop like 10 times in a row. Like when you were talking about that jumping thing you did to jet i did the exact same thing you just sit in the corner jump kick wait for him to charge jump kick wait for him to charge and you do that like eight times it's really boring uh i think that the bosses absolutely have not stood the test of time here although i don't think that's the case for the regular gameplay against normal enemies which i think can still be quite fun at times um but the bosses like once you have learned how to fight them that's it um, and it never gets more interesting than that. The The issue is, too, once you've faced a boss, that boss becomes a regular character later on down the line. You start encountering more and more cases of those while you're being swarmed by the regular enemies. So now you have a swarm of you know, lesser enemies that are fun to fight against while competing against something that is infuriating. You're, you're juggling too many things, you know, two things at once, and they just don't really fit well together, I don't think. Uh, I'm I'm not sure I'm not sure I agree with that. So are you saying fighting against like, say one of the Mai Tai kickboxes um, and regular enemies at the same time isn't satisfying? I think specifically I'm talking about fighting against Jet when he's a regular character and fighting against the the regular enemies at the same time. Honestly, just fuck Jet. I, I hate yeah, Jet so I much. I, I think he's it's so annoying the fact that you can see him and your character model jumps and kicks into the middle of his character model, but he's in the air, so he doesn't take the hit. I think Jed in particular is just awful. I, I think if you could get aerial kicks on him, you know, like the the high kicks on him, it would be way less annoying. But yeah, fuck Jed. Zamza is another one uh, that, that really bothered me. The Wolverine guy? The Wolverine guy, and also yeah. the, uh, guys on the motorcycles. Not, not the, the, the characters themselves, but the motorcycles. Like, you know, I, I just, it, it all comes down to things that are either flying or anything that requires some sort of depth of field. Th those just frustrated me endlessly. I, um, I couldn't figure out a stun loop on the Wolverine guy, actually, which, which to me, I mean, I know we're disagreeing again. To me, the Wolverine guy was one of the more interesting bosses to fight, because I actually had to position myself and try to read him. I There probably is a stun lock of some kind you could get him into, but the way he escapes it, the way he aggressively grabs you if you try and punch him while he's getting up, made him um, one of my favorite bosses to fight in the end. Yeah, I think this game is at its strongest when you are fighting like a half dozen enemies at once and like that makes the movement really interesting and the crowd control really interesting. When the bosses become regular enemies, that just becomes another piece on the chessboard and it just makes you have to, you know, consider your movement more carefully. When there's just one boss by himself, well, it's not so interesting. So to me, I kind of have to disagree with Drew here as well. 
um, except for Jet. I'm going to name this episode 57, Fuck Jet, um, <laughs> because he's just fucking garbage. Um, but, you know, when the, like, the first boss or, like, the second boss becomes a regular enemy, no problem with that whatsoever. I think that when you're swarmed with enemies, this game's at its most fun. Um, let's talk about the worst stage in the game, Stage 7. Fuck Stage 7. So in Stage <laughs> 7, it starts off with, um, it starts off fine, but then you get to these bloody treadmill sections. <laughs> I fucking hate them because all of a sudden you it's very hard to control your movement and enemies are being pulled away from you and you're being pulled away from them. I found it to be a spacing nightmare that I never got the hang of. Um, particularly since you're fighting against the the girls with the electric whips, which have a huge range on them, it just it was too hard for me. Always lost lives there. And then you get to the lift of hell. Where you just go up this elevator and there's no health pickups because you're going up an elevator, you're not going left to right. And you fight against like five high level enemies at once, all with AoE attacks and blocks. And I think that on the whole, one of the things that Streets of Rage does, Streets of Rage 2 does best, is its pacing. As as Drew alluded to earlier, there's this very natural progression of of you know you fight through a stage and then a boss becomes a regular enemy and then you get used to it and there's a very fair gradual build-up but then you get to stage seven and to me i don't know how you're meant to get through that without losing lives because i just found it to be a button spamming nightmare um and sometimes it worked out better than others for me the the treadmill section i i think was at least engaging it was offering something different and it forced me to change up my strategy a little bit so I didn't have so much trouble with that specifically, uh, but I agree wholeheartedly with the elevator. Uh, that was just an absolute nightmare and incredibly frustrating. I think I lost most of my lives uh, in that particular section. Yeah, I can completely see that. The elevator is a huge difficulty spike, and I don't actually hate it myself because I actually like those sections where you're just swamped with enemies well i didn't like it when i was first playing streets of rage but now when i play streets of rage 2 those are my favorite sections because i just love you know crowd controlling and then trying to figure out but like i did i played through that stage today and i still lost like four lives on it like it's really really hard but i can see that if i was to stick through eventually maybe I would only lose like two lives. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask you guys about your experience playing co-op together. And I, I understand that, um, you know, this was your, your first playthrough of the game. So there's going to be some, some negative uh, opinions on it based on just how bad you were at the game at that point. But like, can you can you tell me like if you guys had any strategies going into it, uh, working together? Um, did you find each other like helping each other out when you were facing enemies? Were you fighting over who got the health packs? Uh, things like that. Here's my hot take: Streets of Rage Two is a bad co-op game. It's not. It's not even an okay co-op game. It's an actively bad co-op game hmm. because you're not cooperating in a meaningful way. Here's the thing about co-op games. People often say this is a fun game to play with friends. That is a terrible way to talk about games. It doesn't give any sort of uh, validation to the game in question. You know what else is fun to do with friends? S sitting at a table and talking to them. 
that doesn't mean that sitting at a table is a premier activity that you should rate highly. It means that hanging out with friends is a fun thing to do. I think that sitting at a table absolutely stands the test of time. I don't know what you're <laughs> <on that drink. laughs> um, Be that as it may. I think that what I think when I think of good co-op games, I think of games that require cooperation and strategize uh, and strategy. You know, like um, when you play Halo Two co-op on Legendary, you cannot really get through that game without communicating with one another. If you're playing Counter Strike or Valorant, you need to cooperate with your teammates. Um, I said the other day, Call of Duty Modern Warfare Two, the Spec Op missions. I found myself just when playing through those missions, talking to my teammate using fucking military terms. I don't know where that came from, but it just forces that kind of cooperation on you. Streets of Rage 2, not only is there no real interplay between the two of you, you are actively discouraged from getting in one another's space and trying to actively cooperate with one another Mm. with how easy it is to grab and friendly fire enemies. So I think this is actively a bad co-op experience. I don't understand the people who say it's great and it's far more enjoyable as a single player game. Yeah, it's weird, right? Because there are games like Portal 2's cooperative mode where getting in each other's way is actively fun. Like, it's funny to fuck over your friend in that, in that co-op. Um, here, it's just kind of annoying. Uh, like, every time you're about to kill an enemy with your sweet combo and Patrick comes up your wazoo with his, like, little grab and then you suddenly <laughs> you're grabbing each other and then you both get king hit and you die. Um, I found it extremely frustrating and I... Like, even after playing this game a bunch and then getting Streets of Rage 4 and then trying that in co-op, I also found that pretty garbage in co-op too compared to playing these games solo. So I really got to say I'm not super high on the co-op in these games in general. Like, the having so many players on screen who can all friendly fire each other just does not work that well for me. Does uh, Streets of Rage 4 also have friendly fire? Yes, it does. Absolutely. And with three players, it was like such a challenge, like in boss fights, such a challenge because you're all trying to like get off your combo on the one small boss and you all just end up stepping on each other's toes constantly until eventually two people give up and go stand in the corners while one person kills them on their own. Like it's just... That's so bad. I just want to say that's not representative of the genre as a whole um most most of the games that i've played do not have friendly fire and that does change the experience because now you don't have to worry about stepping on each other's toes now you can actively communicate with each other and and try to maybe one person throws an enemy towards another enemy and or another person uh another player and you guys can work together to to clear the area um when i've played uh, other beat-em-ups my friends and i are actively talking to each other okay who's got the lowest health okay you go get that power up i'll get the next one or uh hey i'm, I'm gonna hang back a little bit and i'm gonna take care of the back row because uh you know my health is a little bit lower maybe you can take the brunt of the boss and you're there is some element of strategy with a game that really is essentially at its core button mashing um so I, I'm really disappointed to hear that you guys had such a negative experience with it. And it's kind of fascinating to me because the entire time I was playing this game by myself, all I could think about was how much more fun this would be with another player, not realizing that friendly fire 
was even part of the game. I just assumed that it, it wasn't even in its existence. It never even occurred to me. So James, you you mentioned Guacamole, I think, while we were playing. That like I, I I've not I've not played um the co-op of that game, uh, Guacamole Two, um, and that one has you like actively launching into combos, right? Yeah, like uh, that. I I guess maybe I lied when I said I had no familiarity with this kind of game. Guacamole's maybe similar. It doesn't have hmm. the whole like four directional movement thing going on. It's purely like two D platformer. Um, but it, you can play that game in co-op and it has a pretty in-depth combo system where you can like, you know, you grab an enemy and you throw them on the ground to bounce them to your ally and then you can like ping pong them back and forth to each other. There's so much cooperation going on, like, you know, uh, in the heat of the moment. And sometimes like there's even like this little training room that kind of sets you up to be able to do this stuff together, um, you know, in more intricate ways right and that's really fun whereas here patrick and i figured out that maybe if he holds somebody i can punch him if i stand far enough away but half the time i'll just punch patrick too and well like i guess in some ways that's a plus um it's not fun in the long run <laughs> <laughs> that's so disappointing yeah, I, I just i i can't get behind an idea of a co-op game where you just where the whole point of how we were playing was to stay as far away from, right, from each other as, as much possible. as possible and mm. th that's what we figured out the optimal why yeah yeah we're trying to optimize how to play single player as much as we could while in co-op <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's, it's like it's what weird. we were trying to do yeah not it's fun. actively bad as a co-op game that's the remarkable thing and not not what i was expecting that's heartbreaking uh, honestly it's it's genuinely heartbreaking to hear that maybe uh, it's because i was just playing with james and i had yeah. to see the person <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my goodness so there was one thing i wanted to criticize about the combat that streets of rage 4 actually fixes and i didn't notice this until i had played 4 but i fucking hate the fact that you can punch enemies off the screen in this game yes so like if you punch an enemy and you get them to like 1% HP and they go flying off the left of the screen and you can't move left. You've just, got, you've just got to stand there and wait until the enemy walks back on screen. That's just so shit. I hate it. Whereas in 4, if they go flying to the left, they'll bounce off the wall back to you and then you can combo them in the air. So it's really fun to bounce enemies off the wall. Uh, whereas like here, it's just frustrating the entire time. How many times did you stand waiting for an enemy to walk back into frame only to end up inevitably moving away towards the middle of the screen again so that they could follow you? So many times? Yeah, oh my like god. You have to do it. It's just it's so annoying. frustrating. Because really you was. don't want to you really don't want to be waiting for them near the edge of the screen, because if another enemy spawns, you just get hit by, you know, something out of nowhere. So you always just kinda want to stand in the middle so you have like the most information from things coming either side. So you, you kick someone off the left and then you'll move back to the middle but accidentally move too far and then trigger a bunch of enemies spawning on the right-hand side, and then it's just all downhill from there. I, I really, really hate the fact that walls aren't walls in this game. I will say that it does... I, I think... I haven't played Shoots of Rage 2. That wall juggling thing does actually sound pretty fun. But it does give enemies a chance to 
reset against you. Yeah. You know, like it, it, it adds a downside to just throwing enemies or kicking them off screen instead of giving you a free combo. So I don't think it's all downside. There's there's more it, it adds a layer to your to your strategic play to avoid throwing enemies off the screen, or at least it did for me, where it often felt bad to, you know, to go for those kinds of throws or special attacks because it meant that I couldn't continually stun lock them. When you get into those arenas, like when you're going down the um, the baseball diamond on stage four, you can kind of just spam special attacks on someone in a corner, and yeah. it feels kind of overpowered in some way because they can't they can't reset and recover while you get threatened from other sides. So in four, if they get onto the floor. You can't damage them anymore. And a lot of enemies will have these like wake up attacks where they'll do an attack as they get up and be in- invulnerable to damage for a second. So you kind of get punished if you camp their bodies. So there is that element of that that you're talking about. Um, mm. But I, I agree if they just added it into two as is, it would be pretty broken. I wanted to talk about the the move set as well because something that I kind of noticed as I was playing was that this game has a very specific move set where every move feels kind of like it has its place. Um, there's no fluff here, right? You have all the moves you need and exactly all the moves you need. Um, and I kind of felt that it hurt variety from an aggressive point of view. Like when you're attacking enemies, you're always attacking them in basically, you know, the same way, which is like punch, punch, uppercut, because it's the best way to do damage. Um, Whereas like defensively, I found that having access to like the throws and the backhand um, and that kind of thing was fine. Um, But I kind of would have liked to see a more like diverse way of attacking each individual enemy. So after messing around with some of the different characters very briefly, I think a lot of the variety comes through playing different characters. Yes. Because, for example, Max does not control the same way as Axel. He doesn't have the uppercut. And when I was playing Max, I was going for a very grab-heavy sort of play style um, because his Max does massive damage and he's slow, but his slide kick makes up for that. But I was just grabbing enemies left, right, and center. And um, I know I haven't played the other characters much, but it, from what I've seen, Skate plays very, very differently from any of the other characters. Um, I agree with you, though. Like, playing Axel was getting pretty dull after a while, and I think that that comes down to what... the, the You don't get the variety of gameplay from the moves you're doing. You get it from... Um, from i guess the enemies you're facing and the combat scenarios you're placed in um i think that particularly when you're fighting the bosses it's about learning those specific moves they have and learning the exact counterattack timing it's about maximizing your limited move set right getting every squeezing every last drop of juice out of it not using the right move in the right place yeah i i I would agree with that as well I spent a little bit of time playing as Blaze and Skate, uh, not as much time as I did with Axel or uh, Max. And, um, you know, I think uh, Blaze and Skate really take advantage of their speed. Um, they have a little bit of a higher jump. So the idea of using a jump attack is going to be a little bit more effective with them. Also, uh, Blaze has the ability to use uh, when she's holding a knife. Instead of doing a singular stab, you can actually do like a three stab combo with it which is different from all the other characters. So I found that kind of fascinating too, um, that they gave each character that little quirk that made them 
um stand out from from the others uh yeah because that's interesting because like near the end of me playing i kind of stopped picking weapons up because i felt like i could dispatch enemies with my move set and sometimes like swinging a sword comes out slower than your regular punch so and oftentimes i felt like i got hit just because of that slower attack rate and not being used to it so I think that's cool that they added that for Blaze. I actually never yeah. got to got to play around with that. I mean, for me, us- using the weapons was about range, you know, uh, especially mm. if you're using something like the pipe or or the katana, you know, getting that little bit of range on a character that you normally wouldn't have. I think I would have appreciated if the weapons had more moves associated with them. My assumption going in was that the weapons would kind of create a new version of your moveset. Instead, it's just fairly simple attacks left and right although that thing you said about blaze is pretty cool that that's kind of what i was hoping for like the weapons would each have a different move set associated with them instead of just being a simple left and right attack right like james i was pretty off weapons like i'd pick one up every now and again but i was never like oh boy a weapon i was like oh <laughs> a weapon i guess i'll hit people once or twice and see what happens that makes sense um, do we have any more uh, things to bring up about the gameplay, or did you guys want to move on to the visuals? Uh, visual sounds good to me. I thought this game looked pretty good on the whole. Um, when we were initially playing the game, I was playing with it on its default settings, and I was like, this is okay. Um, but after doing some digging on the internet, I saw some comments that were very, you know, aggressively advocating for turning on the scanline filter that comes with the sega genesis emulator on steam so i did that and i think the game actually looks really good with that turned on because like after doing more digging uh it looks like all of the sprite work was designed with the scan lines of old crts in mind so like you get lots of really cool gentle blending of textures across characters rather than like sharp pixel blocky looking things i think uh the game actually does look pretty good in most of the time. I think this game looks gorgeous. Uh, and it yet again shows uh, every time we play one of these games uh, for Sega, I'm always blown the fuck away by their use of colors. These games are so beautiful and vibrant. Um, <clears throat> it, it's it's gorgeous. We've done Police Nauts, we've done Sonic, and now we've done this. And every single time, it blows Super Nintendo out of the water in my mind. And in some ways, I think it even beats the PlayStation 1 and Nintendo 64, despite being that much older. So I love the visuals with um, even without the scan lines. But as James said, you, you see what it looks like with the scan lines on, and it is a world of difference. Um, far less blocky, far more detail, and just just looks better. So if you ever play this game, make sure you've got scan lines on. If you can play on an original CRT, even better. But uh, yeah, gorgeous game from start to finish. I, I, I love the look of it. The option for the scan lines is available on the Genesis Mini as well, too. I didn't try it, unfortunately. Uh, James tipped me off to it. A bit too late. <laughs> yeah, so, so um, you know, something that I wanted to just take a moment to visit. I normally don't use scan lines uh, when I'm playing an older game on a modern television just because, uh, you know, I, I do kind of like the look of having the crisp pixels. Uh, but um, it might be worth giving it a shot if you have the option. I also really liked the uh, the character sprites. I thought 
uh, of the main characters particularly, uh, they all looked vastly different from each other. They had personality and character. They were vibrant. Uh, the enemies uh, all had a, a unique look to them where you're able to identify them quickly while still having a unified look to them as well too like you knew they were all enemies it was very easy for you to kind of identify what type of enemy you're playing against while also being able to recognize that yes that is an enemy and not another player and the backgrounds uh had a lot of attention to detail some of my favorite moments actually were in the baseball park uh when you walking by the signs that say do baseball (laughs) (laughs) uh i really i really enjoyed that i thought that was uh quite delightful my uh favorite scene from the game was definitely in the first level uh when you go out the back of the bar and it's raining um Mm. just just a great sense of atmosphere and there was no music locations locations you're going to are kind of zany in a lot of ways but i thought that that particular scene was just phenomenal yeah and in like the start of the very last stage when you're going through the like the I guess the entranceway to where the final boss is, there's this like sunset in the background. It looks so good with the scan lines turned down, like the reds into the yellows into the blue sky. It just Mm. uh, transitions so well. It looks gorgeous. Um, Something else about the graphics I wanted to bring up, I guess, in the gameplay section, but now I've remembered it, um, is that actually (laughs) all of the enemies in this game uh, telegraph their attacks really well. Uh, like they all have unique animations just before they launch their attack they come out really fast but it's all very fair like i kind of associate this kind of attack telegraphing to more like a more modern game thing i feel like back in the day i've played a lot of games where you know you just get hit out of nowhere that's not the case in this game you know every enemy sprite looks great and distinct and they also have a whole bunch of attacks that you can like tell exactly what attack is about to come out based on the way the model moves um i thought it was really good yeah i um i broadly agree and that's that's something that i don't think i've spent enough time talking about street fighter 2 is paced well and is fair for the most part street fighter Um, 2 Sorry, Streets of Rage Two. Is is there a difference between the two? It's just uh, the same. oh my god, one was. Playing. I'm gonna flip a desk. <laughs> like the whole like maybe a whole access of movement, you know? Doesn't, uh, isn't there's just a Hadouken? Like why well, the character says a Hadouken oh character. Any, anyway, um, I think that it's paced really well. It's very fair, and part of that is also in the um, in the animation. Um, I will say on that note that. I still am a bit off-put by how early you have to react to some of these telegraphs from the other end of the screen. Like, it's it's pretty uncomfortable to me um, that you, you kind of have to know what's coming before it's coming towards you, whereas I feel like modern uh, animation tells you kind of get a better indication of what the attack is going to do, you know, long before it lands. Uh, particularly the Wolverine boss had some attacks that just, if, if you didn't... If you weren't able to identify the tell the moment it started from the opposite edge of the screen, you would miss the counterattack timing. But f- for the most part, it's a fair, fluid, fun game with um with the animations and the tells. Yeah, and like the animations when you hit enemies too, and they kind of like jerk backwards and change their sprite and have this really like satisfying crunch sound when you punch them. I think that's something that makes this game quite fun to play. Uh, is just that the fact that the moment-to-moment actually landing hits on enemies sounds and looks good. 
um, makes it so, like, even though, I guess, I'm, I think I'm a bit higher on, like, fighting lots of mooks than you were, Patrick, just because, like, that satisfying hit sound and the animation, you know, meant I could just sit there fighting, like, goons, like, all day. Uh, I found it really satisfying. Um, I uh, I enjoyed fighting goons. I, I like you. I agree that the best part of the game is in those mixed struggles. I just thought that stage seven went overboard oh, with okay. throwing like five high tier enemies at you at once. I think it's best when it's a mixture of low and high tier enemies um, because then you've got a more interesting puzzle to solve that's not just these enemies doing these long range powerful aoe attacks that are very hard to to position yourself to dodge correctly i'll agree all right um so with that out of the way i think it's time to move on to final impressions unless there's anything else you guys want to bring up i'm good i think um drew unless there's anything else you want to take it away with your final impressions sure yeah i mean i i walked into this kind of having an idea of what to expect and I was still surprised uh, by the quality of the game. You know, I, I felt like it was going to be a, a mostly negative experience, particularly playing by myself. And my first playthrough, I admit it was. Um, I was very frustrated. You know, I struggled to get through a number of encounters. I held on to my last two lives by the skin of my teeth. I save scummed my way through the entire game. And then... I went back to play as another character in preparation for today's recording, and I flew through the first five stages. And it was with that second playthrough that I kind of grew to respect the game a little bit more than I did the first time, uh, developed an understanding for what the game had taught me the first time. And I, I really enjoyed it. And I, I think what it boils down to is I need to ask myself the question, is this a game that I would pick up and play again on my own volition? And if you had asked me after the first night, I think the answer would have been a resounding no. But after going back and replaying as Max uh, for the first five levels and having a positive experience, I'm looking forward to picking up the game and playing as Skate and playing as, as Blaze and spending some quality time with those characters and learning what they're about. And um, I don't know that I would recommend the game based on what you guys have said as a co-op experience, because I, I, I initially believed that that was the only way to play the game. And I thoroughly recommended it to you to, to play it that way. And I kind of feel like a dick now. <laughs> no, you're not, you are not the only one. I, I think people are fucking nuts. Everyone is saying this is such a great co-op game, but I think mm. they're confusing their memories of when they were seven and dumb yeah. with, uh, the actual quality of it as a co-op experience anyone that makes pat suffer is a good guy in my books even if i have to <laughs> suffer too <laughs> so, um so i i guess you know i think if you understand and have uh the expectations of what this game does well i think you can find an enjoyable experience with it um knowing that it is a game that's meant to be replayed not just because there's more than one character but because it's a a game about learning and understanding the different enemies that you're you're facing uh, i think you can find a rewarding experience i think the best thing that i can say about streets of rage 2 is that multiple times over the past week i was bored and 
In order to cure my boredom, I picked up Streets of Rage 2 and played through it again of my own volition, not because I had to play it more for the show, I'd already beaten the game several times before then, I just wanted to play more of it because it was fun. Um, I think Streets of Rage 2 is an absolutely fun game to play, and I kind of mirrored Drew's opinion in that your first playing through is going to be painful, it's going to be hard, you're going to get wrecked, and you're probably not going to enjoy it all that much, because after I played it through the first time with Pat, I was pretty low on the game, but as I played it more and got better at it and learnt the game and, you know, just played more and more and more, I started to really, really enjoy myself. And now every time I pick up the game, I love going through its levels. I love just beating up mooks and, you know, beating the bosses and getting as far as I can before getting absolutely destroyed by that elevator. <laughs> um... But I do think it's a very satisfying game. When you play the game, you get this real sense that every move is there for a reason. It has its uses and that every enemy is very specifically designed with good animations, good sound effects. And just really, you know, there's a lot of love and care put into this thing. I still think it holds up visually fantastically. And although I played with the sound off for the majority of my <laughs> gameplay experience, um, I can absolutely recommend Streets of Rage 2. Uh, as a you know a good experience um, to picking up today um, it's only like a dollar 30 on steam something like that so you really basically not, like buy it for peanuts right um i also say will say as an addendum that it does kind of compete with your attention with the newest streets of rage 4 um although that game is like full pro like a 30 dollar game uh, i will say that i think streets of rage 4 is a better game than 2 but two absolutely is fun on its own um i think streets of rage 2 is a very good game i enjoyed it a lot and i enjoyed the process of learning to play it which um is one of the great joys of doing this show it's going into something that you're not too familiar with and gradually improving um i think that at times it's repetitive i think that the over-reliance on stun locking is annoying but I also think that a lot of the variety that you can and replayability you get from this game is by playing different characters. And I've played this game for four or five hours effectively with only two characters. So in that sense, you're still getting a good amount of you know time for variety if you're talking about it. I don't think it's a flawless game. Um, I think that uh, the difficulty spike on stage seven is really out of sorts with the rest of the experience. And it makes it very uneven like blasting through the first four or five stages once you've got a grip on the game only to die 10 times to these last few fights is it really isn't enjoyable and by the end of it i i think i would just start from stage five just to start getting to the stuff that i find interesting but you can't deny that apart from that the pacing is pretty much pitch perfect um it's incredibly satisfying to punch grab throw enemies it all feels good and you know it, the animation is fast and fluid and at its heart it's a fair game um do recommend if you're coming into it as a newcomer like i am just read up on the mechanics like it's gonna seem ridiculously obtuse at first but if you put in the time to just get a basic understanding on how you're meant to be playing this game your enjoyment of it will go up immensely and it'll go up rapidly and you'll feel yourself getting better at the game at that same kind of speed also give yourself nine lives 
Yeah, give yourself nine lives, use stage select, use these cheats to familiarize yourself with these games. Don't just start from the start every time. I think that's a very foolish way to play when you've got access to these options. And I'd like to find, you know, finish on the note that um, Grand Upper should be assigned to a separate button so the game is... No. Uh, Negative. Thank you. Negative. Okay, so um, I think that about wraps it up. Um, we are the Retrospectors podcast. James and I make it up, and we were joined by Drew Kozlek of the WGGR podcast. Um, at the Retrospectors podcast, we review these classic games through a modern lens and give it our honest criticism free from any nostalgia um you can find all of our content on our website rspodcast.net we've got all of our episodes as well as a bunch of articles that james and i have written over the years about the games we've played and also some new ones as well most importantly we would love if you would come and drop by our discord server which um ironically is how i uh, met drew in the first place because uh <laughs> once upon a time we didn't have one and drew was more than willing to give us a hand to get everything up and running and i'm eternally grateful for his assistance so yeah come check out our content come check out our discord server and once again drew where can uh, everyone find your stuff our our main hub for everything is our website www.wdgrpodcast.com we're on social media everywhere facebook twitter and instagram at wdgr podcast that stands for will and drew's gaming retrospective uh we're also on twitch every uh monday night at 6 30 p.m eastern time we record our episodes live we interact with our our chat room and uh will and i my partner we do uh, a variety of different things uh we mentioned at the top of the hour or the top of the show that we are doing a march madness tournament right now um occasionally we play uh, podcast games on the air too we haven't done one of those in a while um we have uh guests on from time to time uh we tend to talk more about modern games and modern events but at our core we're uh two guys with no time to game that talk about games and um, <laughs> you know we're we're uh well into our 30s at this point and uh we try and juggle uh lives with wives and games and things like that and it's uh it's a fun time uh we also have a discord room too and uh we'd love it if you guys uh if you enjoy the content uh that we bring to the table come on by our discord room and talk with us uh we tend to be a little less combative than uh, Patrick and James. Um, but it's it's a really cool group of people, and uh, we're very fortunate to have some awesome, awesome uh, community members uh, with us. So with that out of the way, um, it's time for us to talk about the game we're playing next fortnight, right? Um, so this game was Patrick's choice. Uh, we got to play Streets of Rage 2, and it's actually one of the games on it's you know on the shorter side. And the way we tend to do things here is because uh, Patrick and I both basically work full time. If we want to play a longer game, what we have to do is play a really short game for like two hours. Although I ended up playing this for like ten, um, and then we can <laughs> fit in something a bit longer for the next fortnight so we're picking a bit of a longer game than we usually do we're going to be playing vampire the masquerade bloodlines um for next fortnight's episode which is a game that one of my friends has been incessantly uh hounding me to play for about a year now and i finally gave in and picked it because i didn't know what else to pick and uh looking forward to uh sharing my thoughts on what is so far 
a fairly interesting game in my opinion. Patrick, do you have any experience with this game at all? So I'm actually really excited for this one as well. Vampire is a game um, that I've been uh, that I that I own. Like I had it down, I had it, and I have it on Steam. And um, I've started it a couple of times, but never could get stuck into it for whatever reason, kept getting distracted by other things. But it's the perfect game for the podcast. It's a game that I've heard endless good things about. Um, It's a game made in the mold. People often compare this game to, you know, Deus Ex and Fallout New Vegas. So I'm very excited to give it a go, but I've only really got a surface level understanding at this point in time um, of what the game's really about. So very excited to explore its story excellent so yeah that's about all we've got for this fortnight thank you to all of our listeners for joining us and special thanks to drew for joining us on this episode uh, my name is patrick arthur and i was joined by james sterlings and drew kozlek it's been a pleasure have a good one Bye.